0: Good morning. My name is Jerome Sack. I'm the pastor here at Radiant Christian Life. And many of you already know that. But if you are a guest with us, we want to say thank you for being our guest. I'd love to meet you. I stand, if I get there, I stand at the doors as everyone leaves just to greet one another and to greet you. uh, And would love to do that. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you and just say thanks for being our guest. But uh, um, before we get to the message, I just have a few things I'd like to uh, update you on. Many of you have signed up for that women's simulcast that's happening next weekend. Uh, This weekend, we have a dispute on which, I think she's correct. This is my wife, by the way, if you don't know. and uh, We we dispute grammar. We dispute a lot of things. And she's usually right, but I'm going to still stick to my guns. This weekend is like today, because it's kill the weekend, right? And next week, okay, anyways. So this weekend... This coming Saturday, sounds like next weekend to me, Uh, this coming Saturday, this coming weekend, it's not yet here, so it can't be this one. Okay, that's, long story short, they have changed that, uh, a little bit of the details from that event. It was going to be a a live in-person event for some, and then some like us, we're going to simulcast in, uh, but because of all that's going on, they ended up changing it to a one-day broadcast-only thing. So that's going to happen on August the 8th only. And uh, if you, for some reason, don't feel comfortable coming in here and sitting with the 20 or 30 or, 30 or, 30 or so women that are going to be part of this thing, uh, Heather can hook you up, and you can watch it from home with a digital uh, key. But I encourage you to, to be here with one another, and that's part of the experience. So... Also, uh, well, no, that's it. We're good. Absolutely. This week you would have received an email regarding a special offering for uh, our missions partners in Nicaragua and Uganda. Uh, thank you for beginning to respond to that and your generosity as we as we try to match the need. I mean, you've been very generous as a church here with uh, as we reach out to our community, and we have continued to faithfully support all our missionary, uh, you know, promises and all our the, the partners we haven't we haven't pulled back from them we've said this is a time where we need to be faithful to that but here's a, a need that's above and beyond the normal mission support and so uh, we have a goal as a missions committee I, I sit on that by virtue of being the pastor but there's a missions committee we kind of came up with a two thousand dollars on each ministry about four total that we'd like to be able to send them and say here's to help you reach the to help you meet the needs that have come up as a result of coronavirus because their ministries have all shifted and changed as a result of what's taking place. It's not just taking place here in Westfield, as you know, it's taking place all around the world. So thank you for your generosity and for stepping up uh, to help support that. Would you pray with me before we get to the word today? Father, we thank you. What What a privilege we have to be a part of what you are doing, both here and around the world. We've gathered in this place to meet with you, to hear from you, and as we do that, Lord, we pray that you would indeed speak to us. We recognize your presence in this place. We recognize that 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 you do have a plan and a purpose for this meeting and for our lives as we step out of this place. Lord, may you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a story to tell, but first I want to thank you. It just came to mind. Uh, as I walk through the foyer, I saw many of you with masks. As you know, the governor has put to, uh, a mandate for wearing masks. And thankfully, social distance-wise, I could see your smiling face as I stand here because uh, we are distanced in our seats, so you could re- remove the mask. But I, we ask that you wear it through the foyer, and so many of you did. And so many of you did who don't mind wearing a mask, and that's great for you because you feel like it's like God's purpose in your life to love people and wear a mask. But the rest of us are not as, not don't necessarily like this as much as some of you do. Uh, but I tell you what, I do it because this is what stands between me and meeting with you and meeting with the Lord. Um, there are people around the world that, uh, that go through a whole lot more than wearing a little mask through the foyer to meet with their church and with their community and to meet with the Lord. So thank you for doing that. I know some of you hate it. Um, cool. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's, it's worth it to be together, so I appreciate that. I, I made that video this week making, you, know, regarding the, the, the governor's thing, and um, I didn't know exactly how to say this, other than it's about 20 feet of walking wearing that mask, and you know we get to be together, we get to sing, we get to focus on him. So thank you. All righty. Now let's get to the message. This is where I should pray and you're, you're gonna find a nice transition point, right? Already prayed. Can I pray again? I want to pray again after, after that mass thing, but it'll make it, I'll make it quick, I promise. God, would you help me? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, listen, this past, yesterday I was driving with my, my two youngest. My mother-in-law moved to town. She's not in church, though. Calling her out. Ooh. Uh, but we had a number of people who came, helped unload the, the, the moving trucks, and uh, um, I had to make a run to the store with my two youngest, so I showed up a little bit late. But as we were driving, and I, you know, I love living in this community, there's always somebody who's jogging or biking or walking their dog or walking with a stroller. Even when it's a cloudy, drizzly day like yesterday, there's always someone who's doing that, uh, which gave us an opportunity to invent a new game in the Sack household, at least between me and, my, and my, my, my youngest ones. Now, somewhere along the way, I learned to like classical music. Like, I don't know why. I, I, wasn't, I didn't grow up going to, like, the symphony. I'm not, like, super classy. I don't play an instrument. I don't play, like, some obscure instrument that nobody knows of. Those people really like that kind of stuff. Um, I just play the radio. And sometimes when I drive, especially when I drive, I'll play classical music. I don't know why. Just maybe it's calming or soothing. But uh, I was playing it yesterday. And as we were driving, I noticed some of this music goes really well with what I see out the windshield of my car. And then we would roll down the windows and crank the volume up, and the guy's on his bike on Dave Brown Road, and I just kind of went along the same speed, (laughs) playing the William Tell Overture. (laughs) Can I tell you, it makes a difference. It makes an absolute difference. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe how much of a difference it makes, watch this. It's a guy jogging. It's kind of boring. I mean, it's good for him, cardiovascularly, I'm sure. Are you inspired? Does this really stir your emotions? Now, I want you to compare what we're watching now um, with what we're about to see. Like, two totally different experiences. So go home, try it. Um, you're welcome for that. I don't have a, yet have a name for that game, but it's something that uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed the fact that I can be mischievous with my boys. They're at the age now, 12, 10, and 8, where we can get in trouble together. My daughter is 17. We've been getting in trouble for a long time. But uh, my boys, just a few years ago, we wouldn't be able to do this because they would just be in the back seat asking questions. If you have little kids, you know this, or have had little kids, you know this. What's the question that your kids ask in the backseat on, on car rides? Are we, Are we there yet? And why? Why? And you give an answer, and the, and the response that you get from them is, well, why? Well, why? 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 Eventually, you have to find like, the Trump thing that kind of like, stops it all, and you say, because of Jesus. That's why. <laughs> Stop asking why. Jesus is the answer. We're, we're kind of hardwired to ask why, are we not? I mean, when things happen, especially things that are traumatic, things that are difficult, things that are tough, things that are unexpected, we ask why, and we, we, we're, we're kind of hard, hardwired to do that. And there's nothing wrong with asking why, if you think about it. Don't tell your kids that, though. There's nothing wrong with asking why, because people have asked why, and because of, they've asked why, They've made incredible discoveries, incredible advancements, and we're thankful for people who are curious and ask the question, why? But a problem comes when we don't have a satisfactory answer, especially in those difficult times where we ask why and we get stuck there. Where why is all that seems to really matter in those moments, unexpected, difficulty, trauma, we get stuck with why. That's the passage we're going to look at today. As you know, we're going through the book of John, and the disciples ask why. See, Jesus comes across uh, a man born blind, and then a question that starts it off is, the, why is this man born blind? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. And as you turn, let me give you a little background. As you know, we are going through the series on the book of John. Uh, we've come to John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and we're going to get to the whole chapter today. 41 verses. I don't know if I'm going to read 41 verses. I haven't made up my mind yet. I probably should figure that out soon. But uh, it's a lot of reading. But John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, all the way through the very end, uh, John writes this book towards the end of the first century, the end of his life. He's writing so that people will, will see Jesus and believe. He says that. It's his purpose statement in John chapter 20, that you may believe and have life because of your belief. Now, the foundation, kind of the setup for where we are in this, is we've been in this series where we see this growing animosity and hatred towards Jesus in the previous chapters. In chapter eight, Jesus stands up and says, "I am the light of the world," and he begins to talk about uh, those who walk in darkness. If you, if you, you won't walk in darkness if you follow him, because he, because you will have the light that leads to life. So Jesus is talking about darkness. And light and here we have this healing of a blind man a man born blind and now he can see there's a, there's a there's a theme that 's kind of being woven through this that John's doing thematically we know that in the book of John we 've seen these multi-layer conversations where Jesus does something or or well or, or, uh, or Jesus would teach something or say something or he heals someone and then there's a conversation that where he unveils spiritual truth we 've seen it when he met the woman at the well who's talking about physical water and, and thirsting and he brings the, the conversation to Spiritual thirst. We've seen it about uh, feeding, the, feeding the masses, talking about bread and manna, but now he brings it to spiritual food. Uh, we're going to see it here. We're talking about physical blindness, but then we're going to see a conversation about spiritual blindness. And it all starts with the question, why? If you have your Bibles, let's pick it up in verse 1 of John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind, from birth, Now, I want you to recognize how that's phrase It's not a blind man. Because a blind man is one thing, but being born blind from birth is another. Rabbi, the, Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or of his parents' sins? Jesus' response in verse 3, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus, Jesus answered. This happens so the power of God... Could be seen in him. We must carry. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told them, "Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam." Siloam means sent. Interesting that Jesus talks about being sent. Um, So the man went and washed and came back seeing. We're going to stop right there real quick and talk about what we just read. The disciples ask why, which is just kind of going with the, the thought of the day of Palestinian Jew. There was a connection between if you sin, then you suffer. There's a sin and suffering connection, kind of like Job's comforters. You remember that in the book of Job? Like, you need to repent, Job. This is happening to you because you did something wrong. While we know that there is suffering that's a result of sin because of the fall, not every sin... And not every suffering is, is directly related. There are times where someone's individual particular sin may affect a certain kind of suffering, but to make that connection at all times and then to make that connection of somebody who was born this way takes it up another notch because it's not like he was just a blind guy where they could say, oh, look, he must have sinned somewhere in the past because he's blind. No, he was born this way, so it's got to be his parents' fault or maybe if you could sit in the womb. It's, what is it? What's going on here, Jesus? It's interesting, this story compared to other ones where his disciples start the conversation rather than maybe being questioned by the Pharisees or or religious leaders. So it's not clear cut. So Jesus rejects both these ideas. It's not in the womb. It's not his parents. But he doesn't give a third alternative. He doesn't say, well, here's what really happened. Instead, what does Jesus do? He spoke of the the blindness as an opportunity for God's power. He spoke of the, the suffering and the situation not in terms of why, but opportunity. Not, not because of the, he didn't speak about the cause, he spoke about, well, what now? And where do we go from here? See, the disciples focused on cause, Jesus focuses on the opportunity. And while opportunity for God's power to be seen is not like the full summation of all suffering in the scripture, we see different, we see different examples and passages that speak about suffering and why it takes place. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big question, It's not the full picture, but this passage right here gives us an important lesson, and it's this. That God's glory can be found in all of your story. God's glory can be found in all of your story. What we're about to read now after this healing, because quite honestly, you could stop and say, look, Jesus healed somebody, God's glory was seen, but this healing launches a controversy and part of that controversy has to do with the mud that Jesus created and put on his eyes. First of all, I know you're probably wondering, well, is the mud some sort of magical like, potion? No, I mean, why even do mud? Couldn't Jesus just say, who stops the winds and the waves in the midst of a storm? Couldn't he say, see? The guy would have saw. But Jesus knew what he was doing. First of all, when I think of the mud in this story, I think two things. First of all, I'm thinking, that's a lot of saliva. Consider how much saliva it takes to make mud, to make a decent amount of mud. I know, we don't think of Jesus in those terms, but he's fully man and fully God and fully able to create, apparently, a lot of saliva. Some of you are uncomfortable. You're like, this guy is going to get struck by lightning. But the second thought here is this, the more reverent thought. Why, why, why the mud, Jesus? Well, what we're going to see in verse 13 is it's actually the Sabbath day. So Jesus is... Not just healing this guy, but he's bringing on the controversy. We're going to see that here in a moment as we get to, to, to verse 13. Let me just set you up for that. So the very next thing that happens in, in chapter eight, or chapter 9, verse 8, is his neighbors begin to say, boy, this guy looks familiar. Don't we know him? He seems like our neighbor, but maybe he's not. Maybe he's his twin. But this guy can see, and we knew this guy couldn't see before, what's taking place. So if you look at verse Uh, 10, they ask him, who healed you and what happened? Because he says, yeah, I'm the same guy. His response to his neighbors who who are questioning him is, the man they call Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes. And he told me to go wash myself in the pool. The man they call Jesus. I want you to recognize this man's journey, this man's story of faith. He starts out right here by telling the story of what he has experienced, and it's the man they call Jesus. As we see, we're going to see a progressive understanding, progressive, not just physical seeing, but spiritual sight that takes place in the life of this man. Then there's verses 13 through 17, where the neighbors say, okay, you know what? He made mud. We're taking you to the Pharisees. He goes to the Pharisees. They say, it's the Sabbath day. How can he possibly, well, how can he possibly produce that much saliva? But how can he possibly heal on a day like this? See, healing, actually, making mud, the same root word for, for, for mud is the same word that they used for dough. And the Pharisees had taken the law and they wanted to make sure to, to like parse it out to find detail so they know exactly what to do and who's doing right and who's not doing right. And making dough, kneading dough, was actually something that they had said, this is, this is working on the Sabbath, how dare you knead dough? So Jesus makes mud, and they're saying he's needing dough. I mean, that's really what they're saying. They're saying you broke the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. You possibly, you could not possibly be someone significant, certainly not the Messiah, if you're gonna break the Sabbath. The same word for mud and clay is dough. Now, interestingly enough, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7, you read this: regarding the Messiah, you will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dark dungeons. The idea of opening blind eyes was something that was connected to the Messiah. So I think those Pharisees are got to be thinking, oh, boy. He's kind of like checking that Messiah check mark off. But he did it by breaking the Sabbath. Couldn't pop. No way. There's just no possible way we won't allow it because it doesn't fit our little box. So they question this man. Who is this guy? Who, who do you think he is? Look at with me at verse, Where am I lost? Look at me at verse 17. The Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what is your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So we went from the man named Jesus to a prophet, continuing to see the spiritual eyes coming alive. Verse 18 through 27 The Jewish leaders refused to believe the man who had been blind. So they call his parents. How old is this man? I say that's not a bad idea. If I ever do something as pastor that really kind of upsets you, you could call my parents. No, just kidding. Don't call my parents. Email me. I will do something that will offend you, so you just go ahead and email me. Not leave my parents alone. All right, listen. So, so so, what we have is we have them approaching his parents, and his parents, we read in the passage, that they are scared. They say, yeah, that's our son. Oh, yeah, he was born blind, but we're not going to speak anything more of this because John tells us kind of in a narrative uh, narration note, he says, they were afraid of being expelled from the synagogue. Now, being expelled from the synagogue is a big deal. It's not like... Just like, oh, I get upset at one church, I go down the street to another church. No, they, if they get expelled from the synagogue, it, it, it has radical consequences for their life, their everyday life, living where they're at. So verse 24, pick it up there. So for the second time they called in the man who had been blind, and he told them, And told the man, so this is the Pharisees telling the man, God should get the glory for this. Don't give glory to this Jesus. Because we know this man is a sinner. Listen to this response from the man born blind. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. The man replied. But I know this. That I was blind and now I can see. He knew his story. I was blind, but now I can see. I don't know all the details. I don't know exactly who this guy is or what you think or what you're asking, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. He continues to be on this story. There was a man named Jesus. Now he's a prophet. And while I was blind, and I could see. He knew his story. But my favorite part of this thing is one of those moments like, I don't know if this is a crowd that like, watches rap battles on YouTube. <laughs> Probably not. But if you ever do, or your grandkids do, these guys will, like, rap with each other. Like, and then I'll be like, some guy will, like, do something. It's like a sick burn. I don't know if that's what the young people say, right? And everyone goes, oh, oh, that's about to happen here. <laughs> Read it. But what did he do? Verse 26, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? The crowd is going, oh, because they know that's like sick burn or whatever you call it. What do you call it? Not a sick burn. Not that. It's an oh moment. Listen, I've been retired from youth ministry for about two years, and that that stuff moves on without you. I'm so 2008. I'm so 2000 and late. All right. Verse 28 through 34. Keep on moving. Please keep on moving. So we've seen this man's journey. We see his story. A man named Jesus, a prophet. I don't know much, but I know that I was blind and now I see. Then they cursed him. Not because he gave him a sick burn, but they cursed him. Verse 28. You are one of his disciples. Go with me down to verse 33. Well, actually, let's bring it back up. Verse 30. Why? That's very strange, the man replied in regards to them. They said that that they know Moses, but they don't even know where this man comes from. He says that's strange. He healed my eyes. That's strange you don't know where he comes from. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. They were of course, don't like that response and say, "You were born a total sinner, but listen, this man's journey started off with the man they call Jesus. I don't know, I guess he's a prophet. I don't know much, but I know I can see, and I well was blind, and now he's saying in a roundabout way, he's saying, "If this man was not from God, therefore this man is from God. There is a journey that this man's taking. There's a story that this man has with God's work in his life, and as he reflects on it, he's making." these steps and these leaps from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. He's, got, he's been restored to, with physical sight, but now he has spiritual sight. Then we see that Jesus goes and finds him at this point, verse 35 through the very end of the chapter. And Jesus comes up to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus prefers to use of himself. We've seen it uh, in the book of John already a couple of times. It's actually 12 times in the book of John it shows up. 66 times with the other three Gospels, uh, you hear Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man. You see it in the Old Testament quite a bit, but it's usually just like the sons of men. It refers to just human beings. But there's a passage in Daniel where Jesus more than likely has this He's identifying, he's clipping, he's hitching his wagon. I don't know. He's saying, This is what I'm identifying with. Let me read it to you Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. As my vision continued that night, this is Daniel and his vision of four beasts. I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. Yet he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus is identifying with this passage from the book of Daniel, the Son of Man coming from the clouds. Do I have to tell you that there's messianic overtones to this passage? You probably already beat me to that connection. Jesus uses the term Son of Man to show his sovereign authority, and he has sovereign authority in this situation. Do you believe in the Son of Man? So here's the exchange The guy's like, I don't know, yeah, I mean, I want to believe, show me who he is. Now, he's not saying, well, who's the son of man? I've never heard of that before. He's familiar with the son of man. He knows his stuff as a good Jewish boy or grown man with parents who still are kind of helicopter parents, I guess. But he's saying, show me who the son of man is, and I'll believe in him. And Jesus says, you've you've seen him because you're speaking to him, and he's speaking to you. The man had seen the Son of Man, but he did not recognize the Son of Man. His eyes were being opened. He was, he was getting spiritual sight. And his response is, yes, Lord, I believe. And then he fell down and worshiped him. Which is the, the end of our spiritual sight, right? If we have spiritual sight, when, our, when we go from blind to seeing, what does that produce? Worship. When I was a youth pastor, we, I had a When I was a youth pastor a long, long time ago, I had a a banner on the side of the wall of our youth room that said worship is focus on God in response to him. Like if we really turn our focus to him and really truly see him, it's like a response that we don't necessarily choose. It kind of flows from deep inside of us like, wow, I can't help but worship The man born blind was given spiritual as well as physical sight. Now Jesus goes on to talk about, I didn't come to to bring judgment, but I came to give sight to the blind. And yet, because he gives sight to the blind in not bringing judgment, he kind of brings judgment to those who think they can see but are really blind. The spiritually blindness of the Pharisees, who happen to be listening to this encounter because they pipe up and say, are we blind too? And he's like, huh. You're blind because you think you can see. It's funny that the same message can bring judgment to one and great freedom and joy to another. Paul understood this. Second Corinthians, he, he writes this to the church in Corinth, talking about him and his companions who are messengers of Christ. He writes this. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. I don't know, Paul was talking about his own traveling and preaching companions, but without preaching a different message, that's us too. We bring the message, we bring our story of what God has done. And it's received differently, isn't it? It's life or it's death, depending on who's hearing it. This man's on a journey of faith. I've said a number of times throughout this message. He starts off with calling the man they call Jesus. He's a prophet. I was blind, but now I see. And finally, he must be from God. I believe and I worship. That's the purpose of John's gospel. John chapter 20, that you would believe and have life. Bing. Okay. Not as dramatic as last week. As Christians, that's also our journey and our story. Because God takes your story and he weaves it into his story and he uses it for his glory. Sometimes in your story he heals and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he resolves things the way you would like for it to be resolved. Sometimes he doesn't. We see this with the Apostle Paul. He prayed the thorn in his flesh to be taken away. Wouldn't it glorify you, God, if you did that? (laughs) He's like, no. My grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect in weakness. That in Paul's story, God was glorified. In Paul's suffering, God was glorified. In Paul's persecution that he faced from town to town. We all have a story. We all have a journey of faith just like this man. And there are those moments that we love and we went We went. I mean it's so easy to think well of course God's going to be glorified from this but there's moments where we're like how can God be glorified in this and we get stuck asking why and we feel like the victim and we begin to wallow in self pity and we don't have eyes to see what God could possibly do with this in fact we don't have eyes to see that perhaps God has a plan and a purpose to bring him glory through how we walk through this season God's glory can be found in all of your story not just the story part that you like, in all of your story. And if God's glory can be found in all of your story, what does that mean? First of all, let me give you a couple of points of application as you walk away today. First of all, don't get stuck in asking why and fail to recognize God's opportunity. Because we do become victims, we do wallow in self-pity. And we've, if we fail to see the opportunity that God could have, then we fail looking forward to see that there is opportunity, and we don't necessarily walk through what's in front of us in a manner that is open to the fact that God can use this for his glory. And we fail to look back and to recognize it. Sometimes we fail to look back even when we do recognize it, we fail to talk about it, we forget about it, that God saw opportunity when we did not. Second thing, stay close to Jesus, because when we stay close to Jesus, we see as he sees, and if we see as he sees, we'll find ourselves seeing those opportunities where God is working for his glory and our good. Some of you are naturally optimistic and the rest of us would like to smack you sometimes. (laughs) Seeing God's opportunity is not about having a certain personality type over another. It's about seeing as Jesus sees. And how do we see how Jesus sees? By staying close to him. John chapter 15, we'll get there. Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, and staying connected about a relationship, abide in me, remain in me. And he says, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. And when you bear fruit, it will bring God glory. How do you bear fruit? By producing for God? No, you, you, you bear fruit by being connected to him, by letting his life flow through your life, like the, like the life of the branch flows through the vine. Other way around. But anyways, you know what I'm saying. Remain in Jesus, and you will remain fruit. You you will bear fruit, and as you bear fruit, you bring glory to the Father. What's the fruit of the Spirit that comes from remaining in him? Because I know that remaining in Jerome doesn't bring this in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you're stuck asking why, those things don't necessarily rise to the top, do they? third i would say this don't wait to have all the answers before sharing your story this man has a testimony and his testimony trumps his knowledge he he was not educated as the pharisees were and yet he stood there and he told his story i don't know much but i know this i'm afraid sometimes we as christians think that we have to have all the answers because Someone's going to debate us. Someone's going to question us, and if we don't have the answers, then we're going to lose the debate, and someone's not going to go to heaven. So we just don't tell anybody, right? We're intimidated and overwhelmed. But you know what? You are expert on you are expert on your story. That you were once blind, but now you see. Tell your story. You don't have to wait to have all the answers. Listen, I, we think of the word testimony or, or testimony or witness. We think of the word witness as like someone who knocks on your door who tries to convert you. Do we not? We're going to go witnessing. It's an, it's a, it's that guy at the door. But listen, what's a witness on the side of a street when two cars collide? Someone who saw something, who experienced something. They don't have to be an expert in how cars work or how physics makes two cars into one. They don't have to be an expert in that. They just got to tell what they saw, what they've experienced. Along with that, it's be a gospel-centered witness. And this is is why I talk about grace and why we here at Radiant talk about grace as much as we do. Because I was a Christian for many, many years. I was a minister and I don't think I fully grasped what it is that God did on my behalf. As a matter of fact, my theology probably leaned a little bit towards I did this. I earned this and I accomplished this. Jesus made it possible and and I have now worked my way to it there's Christians who don't know that they have a testimony but if you stop and think about the gospel and story <clears throat> the very fact that you believe is a miracle because God has worked in your heart the very fact that you've called on him and said Jesus I, I I'm calling on you to be my savior is a miracle because it's not like you're predisposed to it you're predisposed to sin and rebellion that's why we talk about grace we all have a powerful testimony if we understand the gospel rightly, if you think you've done it, then you don't have a testimony. That's why time and time again, we talk about, we haven't done it, but he did it on our behalf. If you're not a Christian today, we, once again, I, I wanna thank you for being here and I'm glad that you would show up at a church I don't know what God or what brought you here. I kind of think maybe God's working in your heart in some way, but you, you might just be your mother. The story of Jesus is the story, the gospel, the good news, is the story of God taking the initiative to save us because we needed saving, bored into sin, unable to do anything, and someone had to do something. So he sends his son, God in the flesh, To walk amongst his creation, to be rejected and to die on a cross in our place and on our behalf. And we receive the gift of salvation by calling on him. And if you walked in here thinking that this is a bunch of good people who do a bunch of good things, I that's not totally wrong, but it's definitely not totally right. We're a bunch of bad people who've been saved by grace. I um I want to close by just sharing a quick story. This week, as I was preparing for this message, I I hit a, a mass. There was a massive like road bump. That's not what they're called, speed bumps. I generally ignore speed bumps. So I don't even know what they're called. Just kind of fly off of them. It was kind of a gut punch moment when I was preparing this message, thinking how. Like, if I was more spiritual, I'd be like, wow, what a God-ordained moment. But I'm not that spiritual. I thought, God, why this week? And why do I have to preach this message? You see, it's one thing to believe what the Bible says, but it's another thing to believe what the Bible says. Um, many of you know this. On Friday, we got a, an email through the congregation. Um, our women's director, Loranda Snyder, is uh, uh, just diagnosed with breast cancer. And many of you already know that because you read your email. I got a text message uh, earlier in the week that just said, uh, yeah, it's evasive breast cancer. And in the course of this this text message, kind of just dealing with doctor's visits and, and some logistics, Lorana wrote this, May God be glorified as he carries me through this part of my journey here on earth. Because God's glory is found in your story, in all of your story. And I wrote back and I was like, oh, can you preach this week? Because I really don't want to. Because she was preaching at me and applying this message before she ever heard this message. I, um, I want to close in prayer for those of us who are facing something that happens to be making your story in this moment Um, it doesn't have to be evasive breast cancer but let me just pray that we would see opportunity that we would share our story because god has the the opportunity to be glorified in your story father we thank you god we thank you for what it is that you are doing in our midst what you're doing in our life and even those of us who are facing difficulties, whether it's at the workplace, in our family, with our health, whether it's financial struggles, whether it's just internal angst and wrestling with ourselves. You take our story and you weave it into yours because ultimately our story is about yours, what you are doing, what you have done, and what you will continue to do calling us out of darkness, out of spiritual blindness into spiritual sight. God, I pray that today, those in this room and those watching online, that you would help us to see as you see. That you would help us, Lord. The truth is, we will have moments where we will wallow in self-pity, We will have moments where we live like a That's just human. But may we tomorrow, more than today, see as you see the opportunity for you to be glorified in all of our story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.